Hello, and welcome to the Good Leadership Podcast, where today we review the April Good Leadership Breakfast featuring Christine Geisler. I'm Paul Botts, CEO and founder of Good Leadership. And I'm Kevin Sensenig, President and Chief Learning Officer of Good Leadership. We're an organizational effectiveness firm based in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and the Good Leadership Breakfast is the signature event of the firm that started 13 years ago. And it was a way to have a small gathering of like-minded leaders that has really grown into a dynamic force for leaders who are improving the way organizations operate because they know that goodness pays. So it's reasonable. Our audience may be asking, Kevin, uh, what do you mean by goodness? So will you explain that? Yes, we confirmed through our research that goodness is defined as when people thrive together in a culture of encouragement, accountability, and positive teamwork. And the Thrive Together concept creates the perfect platform for the coaching processes that we use to create team alignment and the leadership development programs that increase organizational capacity. Yeah, that's right. So let's start with a huge thank you to our present sponsor, Old National Bank. It's uh, been a rough week in the media for Old National Bank and for everybody who's a part of that organization. Our hearts go out to the people who really suffered in Louisville. It's it's just, it's unimaginable. Yeah, so sad. And you know, culture gets revealed during significant challenge and just the way that they've been so sincere in checking in with all the people. And Old National Bank is also a client of ours. Um, we had one of their presidents at our, our breakfast this morning and he just, we everybody in the room just wanted to give Julie a big, huge hug. Yeah. And I thought the team from Old National was at the breakfast really felt this was a great way to reconnect and reinforce that culture you're talking about. Yeah, so it was, it was exciting to see them. I think they came, they needed the positivity they from did. the breakfast. They yeah. Did. So, um, Kevin, you flew in from your home in central Pennsylvania. You, you do this now on a regular basis from, uh, to come to the Good Leadership Breakfast. So what's going on in your life these days? Well, it's been a busy time. I had shared last time a lot of personal things are happening. Uh, on the business side, it's been a busy cycle of travel and doing great projects with clients. And so had the opportunity to be in Houston earlier this week and doing some work with one of our great clients and get to Chicago next week for one of our great clients and then to Kansas City for another client the week after that. So a busy time right now, but still staying really grounded and connected with my family as well. So it's been really good. I've been working on my frequent flyer miles too. <laughs> I uh, just came back from our eight-week um, Winter uh, living down in Arizona. Yes. We have a winter home down there. And, and yes, it's true. I did celebrate the big 6-0. I was just going to say, how was that birthday celebration? You know, it was, uh, it was a blast. I it bet. Was, it was kind of like, you know, uh, revisiting college only with money. Yes. Yep. So that was a lot of fun. And Good. I have to admit, I was just a little bit depressed when everyone went home. And I thought, oh, my God, now I'm 60. But 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 I'm out of it now. I'm, I'm feeling young and exciting. And I, I wore my bright green yes. sport coat today to try to keep myself positive. So it's all good here. Well, and spring is coming in too, so that also, that also makes us feel good, right? So this morning was the 102nd episode of the Good Leadership Breakfast. Mm-hmm. We do this because the mission of our firm and the mission of the Good Leadership Breakfast is to spread goodness through good leaders because we've proven goodness pays. So, Kevin, will you explain just a little bit about what happened earlier today at the Good Leadership Breakfast? Most certainly. Well, we hosted over 200 leaders in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area of Minnesota at the Metropolitan Ballroom, and this was the second of three breakfasts in our spring series with the theme, Winning with a Goodness Culture. And the program today featured the Global Senior Vice President of Reckitt's Nutrition and E-Commerce Business, Christine Geisler, 
Uh, before Christine spoke, we collected some data about culture and accountability. And then following Christine's comments, we did a small workshop with the team to help them really begin to engage in how do we carry these concepts back and truly be the chief culture officer in our organization. Yeah, that's a really good summary. We, there's a lot going on at the breakfast. So. Yeah. So the strategy for this podcast is Monday Morning Quarterback, where Kevin and I will review three specific segments of the with Christine, and then we'll comment from our perspectives as executive coaches. So, uh, Kevin, what's your first impression of Christine this morning? Well, Christine was really on target. She had a really strong message for everyone. She connected well with the audience, and she did a really nice job of connecting in concepts of empathy and understanding others to really driving that into business results. And I thought that connection was very powerful for the audience today. Yeah, I agree. And so I've known Christine for many, many years, and she's just this lovely, smiling, very happy mm -hmm. person, but no one should misunderstand that. She is an absolute lion in terms of her ability to lead. She's courageous. She's smart as a whip, and she's very articulate in how she thinks. And so um, I was just really grateful to share the stage with her today. Okay, so now it's time for us to actually listen to Christine. So by way of background, she is the global HR SVP for Reckitt. And Reckitt's one of those companies that's huge. They're global, but nobody's really heard of them. Right. But we've definitely heard of their brands. Yes. The number one most uh, famous brand is Lysol. Correct. And who didn't buy more Lysol during the pandemic? But they also own the brand Enfamil mm -hmm. because they're in the infant nutrition business. And within the last couple of years, there was a huge recall. Right. So the major producer of infant formula had to recall all their product. Yes. You heard me say the words, winning with a goodness culture. What comes to mind when you hear that? So the interesting thing, it's all the things that you spoke about already. It is about that collaboration, that teamwork. And the interesting um, word for me, actually two words. One, I love your, world, your word on plurality, because mm -hmm. it is absolutely that. But I also like thinking about sustainability, which is really a big buzzword today. And you don't think about sustainability as much on the people front. And I really believe that good leadership is about sustainable long-term success in businesses. That is, anybody can have a quick fix and a yeah. quick win, is how do you sustain it? How do you keep that going in organizations? And to me, that's what good leadership is about. Good, thank you. Uh, we recorded that. We'll probably show it someplace. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Uh -huh. So Kevin? I really liked her connection between plurality and sustainability. Because the reason we're talking about shifting the conversation on leadership from an individual concept to a plural concept is to create more longevity, to create that we is greater than me. We're building something together. And so adding in that word sustainability, which we don't often think about on the people side, I thought was very powerful. Yeah, implied in that is, is uh, redundancy Correct. and leverage. But I also found it interesting. The question I asked her had to do with a winning culture and Goodness, right? Yes. Right? Winning with the goodness culture. She immediately went to good leadership. Yes. So I, we made a funny joke. We're going to listen to that right now. So um, you described yourself as an unlikely executive. So can you tell, what, what's the two-minute story about? What do you mean by that? Well, I would love to have my teachers um, here today <laughs> from high school because they would absolutely echo this. Um, I had a guidance counselor in high school that opened my portfolio and said, um, you're going to get married, right? <laughs> that was my only career advice. 
So I do, and it's, this is a true story. Now I'm, I've, I'm a little older than some of you in the room, and that was maybe a little more heard of in the day. Uh, but I didn't, I, did, I came from a non-traditional family. My mother didn't work outside the home growing up. And they wouldn't even let me get a job outside the home when I was in high school because I had to do the chores and do things that didn't make money, but my brother could and make money. And so I went to college literally on a whim. And I was a late bloomer, found myself, found a love for learning uh, much later in life. And my high school teachers would be, just even what I did in college, they would be amazed. They would think I was a different person. And I, so I always challenge people on, you just never know where your path would be. I remember when I got my first HR manager role, and I'm like, oh, I'm a manager. I'm a people leader. I've made it. <laughs> um, this is amazing, and I'm so proud. And I told the world you know, that I'm a manager, and I, I get to lead people. And I thought it was such a privilege, and I never thought that I would be in an executive position on an executive global team, and much less in front of all of you today. So, Kevin, let me jump in here. Yeah. Uh, you and I both coached a lot of executives, and none of them have a story that says, yep, I knew I'd be this someday. Right. Even, you know, I've had a couple people who, who said that, but when you actually probe, they had all these little stepping stones and Correct. things, that, unexpected things that happened in their lives. And I, I just loved her exuberance. So those of you, you know, obviously you're listening here. You couldn't see her expression. So when she said, I made it, I'm an HR manager, <laughs> she threw her arms wide right, open, right. you know, and sat back, and it just caused a really joyous moment in the room. I, I was struck in that conversation around what I would reference as low expectations that she had set for her, right? So she didn't necessarily see herself in a certain way, but others did. And so that was a powerful thought because the exercise we did with the team later in the session, I mentioned it previously, is to think about how are we setting our leaders up for success with clear expectations? And I just loved, you said you referred to her as a lion earlier. I love that she overcame those low expectations set forward a clear path and pursued it with real energy. Yeah, so then I took a quick turn in the conversation because one of the things that's uh, unique about Christine and in this particular appearance is that there are two crises that have kind of defined her life and her leadership. One is that we talked about the fact that she lost her 11-year-old son very suddenly. He was a twin to his sister. It, they didn't see it coming. It was an unfortunate series of events, and it has really changed her as a person. We're going to get there very shortly. But also, working on the crisis related to trying to figure out how to triple production of Enfamil. And so we got into this at, in a deep level, and it was very instructive about how she thinks about leadership. So let's go there now. There's a theme to our uh, interview here today, and it has to do with crisis. Mm -hmm. So uh, you have a business crisis that you led through. So I'll give you a 30-second overview. So one of the things that Reckitt Nutrition does is they play in the space of infant nutrition. And mostly we think of uh, infant formula. Well, within the last few years, there was a big crisis where the biggest competitor um, had a recall that recalled more than half of the infant formula that was available in North America. And the President of the United States called... Okay, so to be fair to our listeners, I did a big dramatic pointing motion to her, and she responded by saying, yeah, the president really did call, yeah. and said, produce more, faster, now. We give us the story. What, what happened, and what did you see? How did you guys respond? So first of all, you would think, as a business, you would be like, oh my gosh, our competitor just fell flat on their face. Let's celebrate. And we didn't because that's also not good leadership. And 
I'm so privileged to work with the people that I do that saw this and saw what was happening in the marketplace and literally said, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? This is the lives of babies. What are we going to do to step up? What are we going to do to fill that gap? And how can we do it in the most quality, effective way that we can as soon as possible? Well, now think about these plants, right? So it's not like you can just build one next door overnight or double the shift. I mean, so how, what, how, what did you guys do? We did every, everything that we could, but the most important thing is we leaned in together. And it was really about solving problems together. There wasn't a defined role. When you're sitting at a leadership table, every single one of us played a part in how are we going to make this happen? And what can we do to support each other? And sometimes that even meant stay away. Don't talk to us <laughs> in supply chain because we've got a lot on our plate. And, and so for the next three weeks, we don't want anybody bothering us. Just let us do our thing. Or it meant, oh my gosh, okay, during that three-week period, we came across something where you can lean in and help us. So what can you do to help us? And it was really making sure we had each other's backs and really leaning in in any way that we possibly could. And, you know, the normal reaction you would have in manufacturing is, what can we do? All of us, let's, let's get on our, our T-shirts, our white jackets, go to the line and help produce, and steel you can't do that. Boots, right? yeah, yeah. Steel toe boots, right? But you can't do that in infant nutrition. You have to be qualified and certified on these processes because the, the quality is so critical that we didn't have time to put Christine through a one-month process on that certification to produce infant formula. So I had to lean in in different ways. My team had to lean in in different ways. Okay, Kevin, what were you thinking at this point? Yeah, so this was really a powerful part of the discussion around this crisis they faced. And the key element of that that I took away in that conversation is not only her passion for their purpose of taking care of babies, but the fact that they were so others-focused as a leadership team. They didn't look at it as, look at the great thing that happened to our competitor that took them out. This is a great time for us to make more money. They looked at it as, how do we follow through and make sure we're taking care of babies and families? And I think that's a key message for all of us as leaders. How do we make sure, in the heat of the moment, we stay others-focused? You know, and it made me think similar thoughts about every once in a while in your career, there aren't very many, but there are times when you understand the weight yeah. of what you're working on right. in ways that humble people. Right. It brings them together. It causes you to have some sense of earthly or maybe even unearthly wisdom. Mm -hmm. And it was just interesting. I've heard her tell this story a number of times. And she, she gets in a different place. She does. She gets very calm, very wise, yeah. very deep in her thoughts. And I, I really feel like anybody who was in the room uh, felt like they were very privileged to be there. Well, that's an interesting, interesting insight because you're right. It seemed that their team got very reflective, and she takes that same track when she tells the story. So good insight there. Well, Thank and you. she's always described them as a go-go-go performance right. kind of culture with accountability that's maybe a little bit of a harsh concept. Clearly, they, become, they became purposeful and empathetic and gentle in ways that were important, but then they really channeled themselves into this. Right, yeah. Okay, so I went on to ask her a little bit more about this, but also we transitioned into her personal crisis. So let's go there. In my situation, an unimaginable tragedy. You lost your son, Nicholas, when he was 11 years old. He had a twin sister. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine the, the trauma that happened on your family. 
uh, you're many, many years removed now from that. Yes. So how did that make you a better person first? Let's talk about you personally, and then I'm going to ask the same question about what you're doing as a global executive. So the interesting thing is it really crosses over in both because there's so many lessons that I learned you know, with having Nicholas for 11 years and then learned literally from you know, a week after his passing, things were happening in my life that were teaching me these really pivotal, defining moments in my life. And the one thing you need to know is I'm incredibly grateful. I mean, you know, so I don't want you to leave here sad. I want you to maybe remember to just hug those that you love and that are important to you, and please don't stop doing that. So if I'm that reminder, great. Mm -hmm. But don't leave here sad for me. I have so much to be grateful for, and I'm incredibly, incredibly blessed. And for me, it's, you know, we recognize that all of us have this, you know, what I call collateral damage in our life. I don't own, you know, the, the corner market on tragedy. There's many of you that have experienced all different things. It's what you do with it and how you handle it. And there's so much collateral beauty that can come even out of collateral damage. And so that's what I really try and focus on personally. You told me a really vivid story about a target clerk. Yes. Will you retell that, please? Yes. So this will be chapter one in the book that I, I write about my Nicholas and, and the gifts he gave me someday. So I, was, I had to leave the house um, because we were out of Kleenex, literally. That was the only reason. Otherwise, I would not have left. That's the kind of shock that you're in. You just don't want to go anywhere. My daughter, uh, his twin sister, wanted to go back to school. My husband's a school teacher, so of course she went back to school. He went back to teaching so he could keep an eye on her. So there I was at home, and my boss grounded me, said I couldn't work, couldn't do anything. And I'm like, what am I going to do? Well, the only thing that I really needed to do was buy Kleenex. So I run to the Target store, and it takes so much courage in that moment, literally to do a simple life task, and because everything was so fresh. And I had the worst customer service experience. And I love Target, by the way. I know Minneapolis <laughs> office. I am an avid Target shopper, so... Love the dog, too, by the way. We love the oh, Target dog, yes. We love everything about Target. So... What happened, though, is I had a bad experience, and I went to the car, and believe me, I felt sorry for myself in that bad experience, and I wept profusely, and I feel I had a right to, and that's okay. And in the middle of that, I had a calm that took over me, and that was my first gift from Nicholas. It was an absolute calm. And the answer that came to me was, yeah, she had no idea what you were going through. That rude clerk had no idea what was going on in your life. But you also have no idea what's going on in her life. And why was this, it like all dawned on me, why was this seemingly 16-year-old girl working at Target during the day while school was going on? So this young girl is working there. What is going on in her world? I have no idea just like she had no idea on mine. And that was, that was such profound learning for me and really deepened my empathy because for the first time, it was like, yeah, you're right. You don't know, but neither does she. And all of the sudden, you realize that you have to really understand people better. Well, I've heard that story a number of times. It just amazes me every time. Yeah. Uh, this, this time, I, the first thing I heard was, I don't want you to leave here sad. Right. That, that was amazing to me. Um, I, I 
I didn't leave there sad. No. She did a great job of really framing her comments in a way that would make us better instead of just kind of destroy us emotionally. I, I was really pleased with that. Yeah, I, I, the story she gave of the Target example and the clerk and the challenging conversation, it, it reflected back on, you know, Dale Carnegie wrote the book How to Win Friends and Influence People, and one principle in there is try honestly to see things from the other person's point of view. And it's easy to read that and go, oh, I can do that pretty easily. This was a profound example of that, where she had to really dig deep to honestly see things from the other person's point of view and recognize it's not just about me. She may be going through some significant things as well. So that was really powerful and really meaningful to me in that conversation. Yeah, and this idea of collateral beauty and collateral damage. Uh, The first 11 years of her son's life was collateral beauty. Yeah. And then now she's been living through and dealing with the collateral damage and, you know, building something beautiful off of that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, that was interesting because we always think about what do we do that causes collateral damage? This is one that she didn't cause. So she had to recognize there is collateral damage. How do I find collateral beauty in that? So that was a really nice way to, to shift that in people's mind. And I think that's why people didn't leave feeling overly sad. She gave the positive element. Well, we talked about other things, but we're going to jump ahead to the success habits part because I thought she really did a good job of articulating how this really helped her be a better leader. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, one of the things we're accustomed to here is I believe in success habit research. So we're we're pragmatists at good leadership. We, we, We do a lot of things, but we try to break it down into simple things people can try tomorrow to get better. And so we call those success habit. A success habit is things that leaders like Christine have learned to do over and over and over again because they believe it really works. And often we will ask people, what have you learned from Christine that if you had her job tomorrow, you'd keep doing? Those are the kinds of things that we isolate here. I asked you to think about three. You talked extensively about the first one. Here are the success habits we labeled uh, for you. The first one has to do with empathy, understanding others. You made a brilliant case for why. Will you tell us a couple of sentences about how you do it? Because a success habit, we need to understand why it's important, how do you do it, and then what does it produce? So how do you go about leading with empathy? So first of all, it's about being vulnerable yourself. It's about, you know, for me, it's things like I tell my team when I screw up. I've got two of my team members in the room, and they'll probably nod their heads on this. When I do something wrong, I want them to learn from it. It's being vulnerable, being authentic. Um, Those are some of the ways that I practice it. Um, It's also about really engaging with others. You know, I, when I first started with Reckitt, and, you know, my workload was increasing, we were selling our business in China, I had a lot going on, and my boss said to me once, he's like, you know, Maybe you don't need to answer as many emails or phone calls from people and, and maybe prioritize and shift some. I'm like, no, I'll never give that up because that's what keeps me rooted in what's going on in the business and, and being able to understand what's going on in their lives and the impacts that are going on. I, I need to do that so that we can all get better together. And so it's, to me, that's that part of good leadership that, no, I just, if it means I'm going to work extra hours, I'm going to work extra hours because I'm not going to let that. Yeah, so admitting your your shortcomings and mistakes you make and and really staying in touch with the details of what's going on in people's lives, it makes it easier to be empathetic. Yes. Okay, so Kevin, what'd you hear in that success habit? Yeah, the element of vulnerability I thought was really critical. And when she explained the idea of the empathy example previously, we got the idea of how we show empathy. 
Here she took it to another level and said, how do we accept empathy? And how do we be vulnerable to do that? I thought that was very powerful. Yeah, and I've learned in my own leadership that empathy is really a condition that you create. You've got to be willing to have others empathize for you Mm -hmm. in order to be empathetic. So I thought that was really good. And no one's ever, by the way, had that as one of their success habits in 10 years of doing this. So let's go on to number two. The second one is something I would expect from an HR executive, which is investing in others. So, So why is it important and how do you do it? Interesting that you say that. So I will tell you, for those of you not in HR, this is important for all of you. So it is (laughs) something that we talk about for HR. But it really is about what are you doing to grow your replacement? What are you doing to make sure you've got your own succession plan? Because guess what? No one's going to want to move you on if if they feel like it's all going to fall apart when you go. And people don't get that. They don't realize that. And you have a direct responsibility to the organization to grow talent. One of my favorite sayings, and I can't attribute it. I, I tried to look it up once. I, I got it literally, I think, two years out of college, and I can't find the author, um, is if you want prosperity for 10 years, grow trees. If you want prosperity for a lifetime, grow people. And I really believe in that. What are you doing to grow people? Okay, she was very direct there, wasn't she? What are you doing to grow people? Yeah, so she used that word secession. Yep. And interesting enough, just recently you shared two client examples Mm -hmm. where you said the company was not really engaging in secession planning, which sounds shocking. But she added the element. Secession is often thought of as the end. Yes. She positioned it as the beginning. Yep. If I know where I want to go, how do I build talent yeah. so they can succeed me? So I think that's a key element to take away in this idea of secession. It's not how I end it. It's how I build legacy and grow others. Yeah. Both of those clients, they're very quizzical to me in the fact that they equate having a conversation with people who have senior executive jobs. They equate having a conversation about succession, which means we're trying to push you out. Right. Okay, so that leads us to the third success habit. And this advice is particularly important for anybody who's got a function expertise. She happens to be in HR, but it could apply to a lot of other functions in the business. So let's cut right to this. So the next one then is know the whole business. And I think the key here is the word whole. It is. Uh, So one of the things, um, and again, it's something I can tell you this, I was criticized for early in my career. I had a colleague say to me once, you really spend too much time getting involved in the business. Like, you just need to go let them do their thing and you do your HR thing. And I'm like, "Mm, that's feedback that's not going to work well for me. And (laughs) And I take feedback really well. But that feedback, I literally gave him then feedback saying I disagree and and here's why. And it's one of the things that I've really prided myself in over the years is knowing the business is, you know, I remember being in uh, Lausanne, Switzerland at our R&D center and talking about, you know, the things that you have to worry about, in particular germs and and, and very specific things. And the microbiologist saying, I thought you were in HR. And I'm like, yeah, I am. He's like, well, I just wanted to make sure because you're talking about this and this. I'm like, yeah, but I work in a plant and we have to be concerned about these things. And I have to make sure my people understand these things in manufacturing so that we get it right. And they're like, oh, okay. 
And I can tell you when I started at Cary, um, the CEO would ask me, you know, first week on the job, what do you like? What are you seeing? What's going well? Tell me, tell me, tell me. And he was, he was very curious and he was a great CEO. He didn't stay very long there, unfortunately. And then I left not far um, after that because of it. But he was so curious. And I started telling him, I'm concerned about safety and quality. By about the fourth time he questioned it, he said to me, I just want to make sure you know I didn't put safety and quality into the HR department in your job. And I'm like, I know that, but it's everybody's job, and we all have to be concerned. And I felt like it was one of the gifts that I gave him. It, was, it got him to think about safety and quality different, yeah. and that as a leadership team, we all own it. Yeah. And you can't own it if you don't know enough about it. You know, I remember even being at Reckitt saying to our, our quality manager, I said, I love reading your quality reports. And he's like, you read them? I'm like, yes, I do. It's important. It's very important to me. And I joined an organization where I interviewed the CEO to make sure that we were willing to do the right thing always when it comes to quality, that even when mistakes happen, we do the right thing by our, by our people. And so, yeah, you have to know the whole business. So I feel like HR is my, where I lean, mm -hmm. but I'm a business leader first. Okay, so I'm going to jump in here, Kevin. I think we should show that segment to every one of the people who goes through our Good Leadership Essentials program yes. that's in a business function. Right. Man, did she say that so articulately and colorfully? What do you think? Yeah, I just thought of some clients who have people in R&D or in product management or in client services, and they struggle with this idea of seeing the whole business. They get so siloed. So I love this idea. If we seek to understand the whole business, then we can be much more effective at serving our customers. Yeah, we have a client right now. We're at the highest level executive team. They're working on a whole new business dialogue that they can talk about the financial condition of the business and what the fundamentals are across all the different divisions that they have. Because up until this point, They've been thinking about it divisionally, and you add each one of the divisions together, and you get the whole. And yeah. that's not working anymore. They need to start making decisions that affect the whole enterprise, and they found that they don't have the language or the right data sets. And so uh, this problem happens in many, many, many organizations, and I th hope that she uh, inspires people to learn more about their business. I'm going to jump back to the very beginning of our conversation. We talked about this idea of leadership being a plural concept, not an individual concept. And that carries through to organizations also. You just hit it. So most organizations view things from that division or departmental level. If we add up enough of the department activity, we'll get a good whole outcome. And she was challenged to say, no, think about it as a whole business, a whole approach, not, not, segment, not a segmented approach. I think that's really powerful. Yeah, I agree. And it was also interesting how that led over to the series of exercises yes. that we led. So, we, you know, we promised a workshop because the one thing people always want to do is to have time to talk about it. And when right. they use the words go deeper, yeah. so the workshop gives a chance for people to go deeper. So will you just summarize what we did and some of the things you learned? Well, we built off of our cornerstones of goodness. And so one of those core cornerstones is demonstrating fairness. And what we described is the fact that it's really unfair to put expectations on people and not articulate them clearly. And so we shared with the audience our leadership expectations model that talks about how good leaders begin to drive a winning culture, they drive championship results, they drive that sense of thriving communities at the individual, team, and organization leadership levels. 
and ask the audience to dig in and think about this idea of empathy and connection and building talent using some of the core behaviors in the model. And the key part of that was to look at in what ways are leaders in the organization encouraging and rewarding the right behaviors, and what ways might they unintentionally be punishing or stopping those behaviors and causing disconnect. And it was a powerful conversation at the tables. Yeah, it was very lively, and most people had never seen anything like this. So you, if you're listening today, if you want this, just send Kevin an email, kevin at goodleadership.com. That's all you got to do, and just say leadership expectation model. We'll just send it to you because it's a really good piece of work. Yeah, and as I walked around and listened to the tables talk through the model and think about this idea and connecting it back to Christine's comments, there were three things that really stood out in the discussion. One was they really connected that idea of empathy, that empathy is critical for going to create clear expectations and help leaders grow in those expectations. We have to extend empathy in that process. The second thing was realizing that it's a personal experience as well. Too often we try to make that distinction, well, it's just business, it's not personal. And they leaned into this concept of the discussion that growing ourselves as leaders, living up to expectations, and delivering results is a very personal thing. So let's not take that away from people. Mm -hmm. And then the third thing that really stood out was the idea of creating space for people to actually grow. We can't expect that people just read the expectations on the model and say, oh, I'll just go do that tomorrow. They have to have the opportunity to fail at that sometimes, to get coaching around that, to come back and learn and grow in that process. I thought those were three very powerful takeaways. Well, to have meaningful experiences, not everyone gets to go through the whole Enfamil uh, yeah. production thing and that she described in great detail. But I, I thought that it was one of the most uh, invigorating and lively workshop sessions we've had at the Good Leadership Breakfast. Yes. And that led us right into our last uh, thing that we do. I've been asking the same exact question for 10 years to our leaders, so let's cut to that right now. How do you know for sure that goodness pays for you as a leader? I just know it, no. <laughs> That's it, plain and simple. Um, you know, you see it. I, I see it in the business results. I see it in the trust that we gained, for instance, in this nutrition example. You know, the trust that we gained with our consumers for not price gouging, for doing the right things. Mm -hmm and making the right decisions. And, and so you see the loyalty of our consumers expand because of that. And so you see it reap dividends when you make the right decisions. And it, you know, you said early on, it's the hard things. It's, sometimes you think it's, oh, well, it's easy, it makes sense. No, it, these are tough decisions and they're based on goodness principles. And you have to live them. And when you do, it, you see it pay off, you really do. So, Kevin, what did you hear in that? Yes, I took away that idea that goodness pays, particularly in the difficult situations and difficult decisions. It's easy to say we're good and we're sharing goodness when things are going well. She leaned to the fact that when things are tough is when we really need to have that goodness shine through, because that's how goodness pays. Yeah, and interviewing these uh, speakers, these good leaders who create great results on a regular basis for 10 years, it is it's remarkable to me about how deeply they have to think about this because I'm asking them a question like, well, why do you need to drink water? Mm. And you know, they, they always look at me like, well, it just does, but then right. I probe and probe and probe and she obviously make a joke about it. But you know, particularly when people have been through something dramatic mm -hmm. and things turned out well, and they can look back at it and think about it uh, through the lenses that we've given them, but also that they know by instinct, you know, they're, uh, 
was their excellence, was mm -hmm. their generosity, was their fairness, and was their positivity. And clearly we heard all that from Christine. So yeah. it was a really good day. It was. So thank you for joining us today on the Good Leadership Podcast, the debrief of Christine Geisler. If you missed the Good Leadership Breakfast in person and would like to watch the video, it will be posted on our social media and on the Good Leadership website. As a reminder, our firm, Good Leadership, is an organizational effectiveness coaching firm. We exist because everyone knows you can't have an effective organization without good leadership, and you can't have good leadership without goodness. You can find information about our past and future breakfasts on social media by joining our email list or by searching our website, which is goodleadership.com. Next month, our speaker will be Glenn Gunderson, the CEO of the YMCA of the North, and he is headquartered here in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So, Kevin? Thank you for investing in yourself. This podcast is just one of many resources for self-directed learning inside of our Good Leadership Essentials program to help you develop that leadership capacity for yourself and across your organization. And we also encourage you to check out our team book study bundle for today. It's 10 copies of the book, Be the Difference, and an electronic study guide you can use to begin to accelerate the development of your team around clear expectations and being the difference in your organization. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. We do that because the mission of the Good Leadership Breakfast and our firm is to spread goodness through good leaders because we've proven goodness pays. Have a great week, everyone. And as you think about your own leadership, what do we want everyone to remember, Kevin? Goodness pays. Yes, goodness pays.